Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Chelsea Covid Club. Here I am, another week has gone by and what a weird week it's been. It really has been strange since I last spoke to you all. Well, here I am though with somebody else who I can discuss anything and everything with. It's Mr Andy Saunders. Are you going to make this all about you just because you've had Covid? <laughs> it's always about me for God's sake. I'm. Important. Have you been a brave little soldier this week? Yeah, I have actually. Okay. I have actually. I, th- I think, look, you know, first off, let me just say I've not had it like uh, some people have really had it. You know, I, I, you know, when we talked last week, I was just getting a test sorted out and everything. Um, and the next couple of days after that, I had a real terrible fever. High you were quite excited when it came back positive, though, weren't you? Oh, I don't know if I was excited. I, was well, I don't know. Of... You sent me a WhatsApp going, yeah. I've got COVID, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Well, I was quite <laughs> expecting a smiley face on there as well. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess. Actually, I forgot I sent that. I, I actually think I was in shock um, yeah. because I'd got through the fever period. And then, you know, but there's also part of, of me, because I've been through illnesses before, that you worry, well, if it's not COVID, what else could it be? You know, could it mm. just be flu? Could it be something else? Because all these things can be symptomatic of so many things. And I think mm. that's what the problem with COVID is. So actually, I was really quite happy to nail it down as, yeah, I'm one of those COVID people now. Well, sometimes, so Sometimes when you put a name on it, it makes it easier to cope with, doesn't it? So, and I don't think it's, it's kind of over-regging things to say you have a, a troubled medical history. So it's a little bit concerning, isn't it? I mean, I wouldn't say you were vulnerable, but you certainly been had your ups and downs medically in the past. Yeah, absolutely. So you're always consciously aware of thinking about 
how you're feeling anyway from day to day just because mm. you're always more aware of little things can tell you a lot so um so yeah I, I was kind of excited i i did actually we were in the middle of a zoom uh meeting at the time and I, and it came through on my phone and i have to say that i did a few expletives came out of my mouth in the middle of the meeting um because yeah it, it was just a shock because i just and you were you were you were Poorly, but you weren't terrible, were you? So you, you kind of got away with a not sort of medium dose. Yeah, I guess. As I say, three days of fevers, which weren't very pleasant, um, and then it's just been tiredness since then. I, you know, I still feel muscle ache uh, and and uh, general tiredness. But I have been getting back on the exercise bike, um, which some would say is probably not a wise thing to do, but. I like to take take these things on a little bit aggressively and try and get back in control of my body. I also know when to rest and and wait it out. So, so yeah, so I'm locked down till Wednesday night at midnight at the moment. Um, And Jackie's now sent off for a test because she hasn't been feeling 100%. Um, But but, uh, at the same time, there's no necessary rhyme or reason that just because one person in a relationship gets it that the other person will. It, it, it's really odd. And I think it shows sort of the, the real concern about COVID is, is that it is un- no one knows what it will do to you. That's mm. part of the worry is mm. you don't quite know, oh, my gosh, you know, they say watch out for the second wave after a week. So I've, I'm around that period now. So, you know, we don't know. It, it could affect you completely differently to me as to Jackie, to, to anybody. So, um, yeah, it, it's well, kind I, of a weird I, one. I think the listeners will join me in, in wishing you the very best and hoping that hoping that the second wave doesn't get you and that this is the worst that it'll be. And, you know, we, you can move on knowing that you've got it and knowing that you've got a vaccination sometime down the line. So, so that's all good. It's all good. And one last thing, mm. I would like to just say to all those people in the NHS, all those workers, um, you are incredible. Um, it actually almost makes me well up because I got two calls through this whole period from people just basically saying, just want to check how you are, check how your symptoms are. Are you OK? And you think and I, I was one of those, right? <laughs> I'm talking about people who do this for a living, not just my caring friends, of which you are indeed one. But um, yeah, I, I was, I, I was, I was very moved by that because, you know, thank you. The last guy I spoke to was Hassan. Thank you very much, Hassan, and all your colleagues because. There is a, a whole load of mental issues, I think, with COVID. I think it can affect you mentally as much as physically. And uh, just knowing that people who are doing their job who are in the face of unbelievable pressures to, to get people well still manage to make these phone calls. OK, it's part of their remit. But, boy, mm. did he sound? do they always sound as though they care? Good. So thank you. Um, well, talking about caring... Um, <laughs> Did we care about the week of football we've just had? Well, blimey, I would say yes. <laughs> Interesting week, because last, obviously last time we did the podcast, uh, we just found out that Frank was departing. And we had an idea that Thomas Tuchel was coming in, but we hadn't had it confirmed. But obviously since then, uh, he's been confirmed and he's played two matches. So lots to talk about. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we were waiting for the news. We were kind of stuck in that whole uh, period of, yeah, we've heard he's coming. It's a done deal. It's all going to happen. But you're still waiting for that moment. So mm. when he turns up, you know, and it's confirmed, and then suddenly we see that he's picking his first side after what I think he said was 72 very strange hours um, against Wolves. Um, it was a shock. I, if nothing else, it was a shock because it really was a change of a team. And as he said, and I, I love this quote from him before the game, this is the most unfair side I have ever or will ever pick in my life. Um, yeah, I like him. I like the fact that he's making an effort to explain his thinking to the Chelsea fans who, you know, a lot, a lot, you know, and I have to preface this by saying I don't speak on behalf of all Chelsea fans, but clearly a lot of Chelsea fans were quite traumatised with the departure of Frank Lampard. And I think were suspicious of Thomas Dougal, didn't know an awful lot about him, apart from the fact that he left some damage in places that he'd been after lots of arguments with particularly with the hierarchy uh, and certain senior players and there was a little bit of a worry that a disruptive force was coming in but I really like the fact that he has made an effort to explain his thinking and to, to sort of lay out what he's doing and quotes like that about hey, I just really haven't had the time to to really think about it so it's really unfair and you shouldn't draw many conclusions from it it's, it's helpful it allays a lot of fears. Yeah, absolutely. And and I like the way that he then qualified his thinking. Just because of what's happened this week, I have gone for an experienced lineup. Mm. So he was just saying, because there was, a, you know, everywhere was rife with rumours. Oh, you know, Mason Mount's gone. Reese James is gone. This player's gone. That player's gone. They're all gone. You know, you won't see them ever again. And again, as you say, I really got the feeling that he was trying to allay everyone's fears and say, look, I don't even know half these players. And and so it's got to be a weird one. So I got his thinking for Wolves. And and yeah, I mean, it was way too early for a person to, to go out and be in the, you know, lesser managers would not have been on in the dugout for that game. I, I think. said that. Right, OK, well, I'm as wise as you then, Andy. Yeah, I made a big deal of that on, on social media by saying that a lot of managers would have ducked it. And it, it's it's right, it's absolutely right. that you know, the, the, you know, with that short amount of notice, a lot of managers would have just asked the caretaker to take that game, would have sat high up in the East Stand uh, watching the game, making notes, and then had three or four days with the team before coming in properly at the weekend. Um, and I've got a lot of respect for him for not doing that. Yeah, I mean, in a kind of a weird way, we probably shouldn't even analyse the team that he picked because it really was as he said. But um, so I, I won't ask the usual question. Well, I, I think I, I think we can analyse. Yeah, I was going to say I, I'm not going to say were you surprised because well, yeah, well I was because um, the one big thing in it was Hudson Odoi. You know, immediately you've got a lot of people, a lot of rumours swirling before the team was even announced. And that, that's an issue as well. Who's leaking this information to journalists? You know, that's one thing I wanted to say. That's not good if people are, have got a direct line into The Athletic and various other people who can then just report our team two hours before kickoff. But a lot of people were saying that Callum Hudson-Odoi was going to play at right wing back. And that seemed incredulous. It seemed silly and, 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 and not possible. But obviously that's what's happened. And that's been one of the really interesting tweaks that he's made over the last week okay so you hit on a point that i wanted to talk to you about um this leaking of information there has obviously been 
somebody or persons unknown who are leaking stuff out of the club to various journalists uh, and publications. How concerned would you be uh, if you're in the hierarchy of Chelsea? Or how concerned are you as a fan that things are like this? And as a PR person, what's your professional opinion about it? And what normally happens in this situation? How many questions do you want to ask me? <laughs> well, quite a few, I think. Well, because I think it's a fascinating subject. Yeah, you just flagged I it think, up. Yeah, I mean, just look, again, just... just trying to kind of answer some of those questions i think that it is a concern because we don't want our team going out to the opposition before it's announced the the reason that it's announced one hour before the game is that you know it gives people enough chance to you know to have a look at it but it it doesn't allow for whole systems and strategies to be amended and adjusted accordingly and that that's what concerns me if you find out that you know the formation has changed radically to what you've been preparing for a week you've got time to to amend it and 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 that's a concern so that needs to stop um and and i am concerned that people think it's all right to leak to journalists Um, um, and it needs to be stopped, and it needs to be found out who's doing it, and it needs to be stamped on. Now, you know, it's probably a player who tells his agent, and then the agent is probably leaking it. It's probably not a direct line from player to the media. That's that's usually what happens. Um, it may be a disgruntled player. It might be a player that feels they've been left out in the cold. Who knows? I'm not going to speculate too much about it, but it needs to stop. So how does, how does one... I mean, you've probably been in these sort of situations. Will there, Do you think there'll be active motions um to to search for the person or does one go you know what hopefully that's it it's over i don't i don't think so i don't think any journalist is going to reveal their sources but i think that um there'll probably be conversations going on behind closed doors between the manager and the players saying this isn't helpful and we need to build some trust and i think that's what it is it's a it's a breach of trust uh, not only between the player and the manager, but the player and his other teammates. So I think that uh, if indeed it is a player and it's not a kit man or you know or someone else, so I think this circle of trust needs to be built, and that's one of the tasks that's, that that Thomas Tuchel has ahead of him. Yeah, as we know, Chelsea is a a hive of intrigue at the best of times. So, yeah, I would think he'll probably want to lock everything back down now. You know, we've had this initial little period and and we can move on. I, I do think it's a brilliant point that you make about the fact that, you know, people say, oh, well, why why does it matter? Because of that thing you just said about other people knowing the team more than an hour beforehand. You can change a whole strategy then, can't you? So it, Yeah, you might as well have a drone above the training pitch. You know, yeah. you might you might as well have people standing, you know, standing at Cobb and peering through the fences if you're gonna just leak the information out there. Um you know, one of the problems, issues, challenges, whatever word you choose for it, that Frank Lampard had Excuse me. Was that his uh, team selections were becoming a little bit predictable? The four three three, and and were easy to 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 counter strategically. I think Thomas Tuchel is a is a really interesting manager on that level, and he uses a lot of different combinations and lineups. At the moment, he's tending to use a sort of three five or three four two one formation. Um, and you know, but that's not to say he's he's not going to change that. He's not going to go to a back four. So it's important that that stuff stays secret. It's important that any tweaks that he makes are a surprise and they're not public knowledge and they're not something that you know a skilled manager can sit down and go, all right, well, you know, I did have this team in mind, but I'm going to tweak it so that we can counter 
what Chelsea are doing because we've had this information up front. It's really, really significant thing that they need to get sorted out. Yeah. Well, moving on to on to the side. Um, okay, you you've got the side in front of you. What did you make of it as a first pick? Well, I think we were all surprised not to see Mason Mount um, and scratched our heads a little bit about that one. Reese James, you know, has had a little bit of an injury issue, um, so that might have been a consideration. But then we heard that, as you said earlier, he'd picked the team on experience. And I think the thinking behind that was, if this goes horribly wrong, because I haven't had enough time to work with you, then I'd rather it went horribly wrong for a bunch of experienced players than for younger players whom it might affect psychologically. I think that's what his thinking behind it was. So he's obviously gone for a, a you know a back line of uh, Asp, Tiago, uh, and Rudiger as a back three, obviously with Mendy in goal. And then that midfielder, Jorginho and Kovacic, made a few people raise an eyebrow. Uh, Chilwell and 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 Hudson Odoi as wing backs again, you know, slightly or particularly Hudson Odoi. Um, and then Zayek and Havertz flanking Giroud, who was obviously playing as a as a number nine. So, yeah, a really experienced lineup. Probably not what most Chelsea fans would have chosen. Probably a few howls of of um, indignation that a few players weren't in there that were expected to. And obviously that Jorginho Kovacic central pairing that not a lot of people like. And there were some grumblings about that. But I'm sure we'll come on and talk about that when we when we analyse both games. So when we were speaking last week, uh, this was a game that we said, you know, before Frank uh, left, uh, this was a game that we must win, four out of five games that we should win. The the sort of target changed, didn't it, with what happened? This was just a game to get through no matter what in the end, wasn't it? Well, I think we said it's a game that Frank had to win. Yes. You know, it's a game that Frank had to win rather than we had to win. I mean, I think we have to win all our games, but particularly for Frank Lampard, if if he was going to be the manager for the Wolves game, he had to win it. Um, obviously, with uh, a new manager coming in, there's a little bit more latitude um, and we didn't lose. And that's the key thing. So I think a few people were frustrated with the performance and they were frustrated with the way Wolves played such a deep lying uh, formation. Uh, we weren't very effective at, at breaking it down. There was this whole silly nonsense about record-breaking amount of passes in the game, and it all felt a bit sarry at times, um, and people were, were, were slightly concerned. But you, you saw, what I saw from it was evidence of a tactical brain at work, as somebody that was trying to figure it out as they went along with very little preparation. And I didn't have as much of a problem with it as a lot of people did. I, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was great. I, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, but I thought it was okay. And, you know, it set a good foundation for the weekend's game. For me, the most important thing was watching Tuchel because he was incredible. Anytime there was a break for a foul or for this or for that, he was pulling someone over from what I could see, having a conversation with them, doing coaching through the game with players. There, was a, there were a couple of really fabulous moments. There was uh, a moment when he was speaking to Aspi and he was talking to him about how basically it looked like he was saying, just tuck in a bit more into that channel and push Callum out wider, right onto the line. And, and you could see this nodding on and, and going, going ahead with this plan and seeing it come to fruition within the next few minutes. Um, there was also all that stuff when, 
he was, you know, with, with Pulisic at half time. And, and, and you could see a man who was really trying to get to know his players, get to talk to his players and using this match as a game. Okay. He probably thought we mustn't lose, but actually I can do a lot of good coaching from here. And he didn't seem to stop moving and didn't seem to stop talking to people the whole time. And I think it would have been a very constructive um, period for a lot of those players. Um, so I, I love the look of him on the touchline. He felt like a manager who knows what he wants to say to a player. I think it's really important to make the distinction between coaches and managers and managers that are coaches and coaches that are managers, if that makes yep. any sense. Yeah, yeah. No, and I go think for that it. Frank Lampard was very much a manager rather than a coach. Uh, I think he was a manager that coached rather than a coach that was a manager. And I think the opposite is true of Thomas Tuchel. I think first and foremost, he's a coach. He wants to get inside players' heads. He wants to think about strategy he wants to think about how to manipulate situations on the pitch in favor of his players now I know that's all fairly obvious stuff when you think well that's what a manager does but some managers do it from a coaching perspective and I think that's very much what Tuchel is and I think we've got to get away from this idea that um you know that, that they're the same that Tuchel and Frank Lampard are the same and they should be judged the same they're very very different animals I think you know Frank has obviously come from a illustrious playing career and has worked under some incredible managers and has sat in meetings in dressing rooms with some of the best managers in the world and enjoyed the success that's flowed from that Tuchel's playing career was at a reasonably low level uh, and was ended at 25 with an injury so has spent all of his career to date pretty much as a as a coach and learning coaching and I think that's what he's going to bring to the party and I think you're right to highlight the way he acts on the sideline he wants the players to react to what he's saying. He wants to be dynamic throughout the game. He wants to make sure that the game evolves and that he's part of controlling that particular narrative of that evolution. And Frank was very much a sit back with his arms folded and, and, and trust the players and let the players express themselves. It's a very, very different mindset. Yeah, I'd agree with every word you say there. There's also something else that he said in, I can't remember which interview because I've, I've taken them all in and there's something interesting in everything he says. And he said, I want to make players better players and I will do that. Uh, and I love that philosophy. He's basically saying no one reaches the limit of where they are as a player. Everyone can learn something. Um, and, it, you know, it, it was said in an effective way. You mm. believe him. Um, well, I think also as well, that that's an interesting point because that's why players probably fall out with him. Players that won't allow him to help them develop are not going to have any chemistry with him because I think he feels it's part of his job. I think it's his obsession to look forensically at individual players and figure out how to maximise their strengths. And if you've got players that are like, that's nah, all right, mate, I'm doing my own thing, that's never going to work with him. And I think where he fell out with senior players, particularly at PSG, you know, these Galacticos, these global superstars who were like, who are you to tell me how to improve my game? That's never going to end well with someone like Tuchel. What he has with us is a young hungry, mainly young, hungry squad who seem eager to learn, who've come up through a system that's all about coaching, that's all about helping them develop. And I think in Tuchel, he's got 
they've got someone who can take them to the next level if they buy into it and 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 that's key they have to buy into it if people buy into the two i hate using the word but if people buy into the two called projects i think it could go really interesting places yeah i i i think he we will see <clears throat> even though it was mainly experience just bringing someone like callum in for him at that moment in time well, you and I both know, well, I remember you texting, I think he's playing three at the back. And you're thinking, really? Because you can't be playing him at right back. This has to be. Mm. He's playing him as a wing back. And have you ever in your life, ever, ever, ever thought of Callum Hudson-Odoi as potentially a wing back? Well, no, because you always think of wing backs as having defensive duties. Um, and that's actually not necessarily the main aspect of being a win-back. I mean, I think it's there to provide cover. But when you're playing three at the back, you've basically got a lot more cover than if you were playing four at the back, if that makes sense, because you've basically got three people whose job it is to provide cover for you. So I think the wing-back thing is a little bit of an anomaly. It's very much, um, it's very much uh, a, a, an attacking position these days. And when we come on and talk about Burnley and we talk about Alonso, you can see that actually players' strengths are sometimes as wing-backs rather than as either straightforward wingers or as full-backs. So, I th- you know, I think it was a shock. I think we all did scratch our head and go, oh, I never thought of that before. But then we never thought about it with Victor Moses. And we won the league with him playing in that position. So, you know, it's not unprecedented. And I think that, you know, Callum Hudson-Odoi playing as a wing-back could be a, most, a masterstroke, it could be, because what's really interesting about Callum is that I think he went through a really, really bad period, and we've highlighted it on this podcast before about how he didn't look like he was enjoying playing football, how he never played with a smile on his face, how he was timid, how he wasn't going past players, and then the last five or six games, he's been remarkable. I mean, there's no other word for it. He's been remarkable in the way that he's been playing, and he's the player that Bayern Munich was so desperate to buy, because they could see it. They could see the potential there. And I'm so glad. It's so heartwarming to see a young player like Callum Hudson-Odoi overcome that dip in his career and start playing with the poise and the maturity and the hunger that we knew was always there. So do you think Frank will have watched the game and seen that and gone, oh, I wish I'd have done that? And also, do you think in a way... Callum didn't get the real rub of the green in the last half dozen games because every time he played well, he'd end up on the bench and there was one time he didn't even end up on the bench. Mm. Um, it, it just seems like when you see him now, you think, wow, imagine if he'd have got given his chance. Hey, maybe it's good for him that he didn't. Maybe in those death throes of that period, wouldn't have worked for him. But he was the shining light. And now here we go. The one thing that, we've seen Tuchel obviously take out of it all is a the reputation he's heard about Callum but obviously seen something about him thought you know what because you've kind of been out of the firing line and just had some really good reviews the last few games when you've appeared maybe you are the perfect person or maybe just by picking him in this situation in an experienced side immediately endears Callum to, to Thomas Tuchel and vice versa. Mm. There's suddenly a relationship there. And didn't you think in these two games, you've seen Callum track him back far more than I've ever seen him do. He yeah. looks as though he's now willing to die for the shirt. There was always an argument 
or there was always a concern, I think, in the kind of death throes of the Frank Lampard days, that players were saying, I don't really understand what he wants me to do. Um, and there was this kind of rumour that the players were a little bit bemused and bewildered and baffled by the instructions they were giving and, and consequently went into their shells a little bit and went into kind of safety mode uh, where they wouldn't express themselves or, or, or play bravely because they were terrified about making mistakes. We know that Callum Hudson-Odoi is a player that likes to get on the front foot, that likes to take the game to the opposition. That's what's so exciting about him and Pulisic and some of the other, Zayec, you know, some of the other players that, that we've got that we know like to take the game to the opposition. I don't think necessarily they were necessarily given the opportunity to do that under Frank uh, in the way that they would like. And maybe this is just in some ways taking the handbrake off of that talent. Yeah, I agree. And by doing that, you get everything that you were trying to instill. It comes naturally. Um, it's okay. important to say as well that, you know, I'm not throwing Frank under the bus here. I'm not rubbishing everything that Frank Lampard did over the last uh, 18 months or, or, or however long he was there. You know, I think that what Frank Lampard brought to Chelsea at a difficult time for us was really, really important. We mentioned it last week that his stewardship throughout a period where there was a transfer ban, his ability to bring through players from the academy and develop them, his stabilisation of our position in the Champions League. I mean, all of that is to be hugely lauded and applauded, and, and we should be thankful for that. I just genuinely think that towards the end of his tenure, he lost his way, and the players lost their way, and they could not figure out a way to get out of it. And we were in, if not a death spiral, then something of a, a, of a downward trajectory. And by bringing in a new manager, and it's very early days, and we know from bitter experience that it could go horribly wrong over the next five or ten games. Uh, but there's something about these first two games that makes you think there's something at work here. There's a, there's a brain at work here that wants to figure this out, that we know that the squad is good enough. We know the players are good enough. How do we make it gel? And, and that's exciting. Yeah, and I would say on the Frank thing as well, uh, for me, he will always be a legend. I think he's brought through players we may have only learned about once they've become household names at different clubs. Um, I'll always be thankful for that. Um, he's just overseen the weirdest time in Chelsea's history, I think, yeah. and for football's history. What I would say is that it just may be that in five or six years' time, Frank Lampard may end up back at Chelsea as an experienced manager. And I would not love anything more than that if he could come back and he could do a great job and pick up where he left off. Mm. Um, OK, the, the last point, the real last point about the Wolves game, because, you know, we're kind of going through the motions in a way. He's trying to cement some kind of shape in there, just calm things down. Do you not think that we saw one of the great nine-minute performances from a player who came on as a substitute who had been left out in the first place. For me, Mason Mount came on and he said, Hello, I am Mason Mount. You know I've been good in training. Let me show you what I'm like in a match context as well. It's what you always say about, you know, if you're going to be a sub... Be an impact sub. Make the manager notice you. Make the manager go, huh, I should have played him. Yeah, I think that's 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 a very good um, thing to highlight. He was 
fantastic when he came on. And, you know, Thomas Tuchel afterwards saying, the thing about Mason Mount, he always leaves his heart on the pitch, he always gives 100%, he's pure Chelsea. Is, you know, that's what the fans want to hear. They want to hear that that's been acknowledged. Um, and, and it was. And I think anybody that watched that late substitution, you know, he only had seven minutes uh, to come on and, and impress, and he added an energy and a dynamism um, to the to the to a team performance that was a little bit lethargic and a little bit turgid and a little bit sort of you know just just seeing out the time, uh, and you know could have won us the game. And I just think that he is a player that takes his chances, and you know it's 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 great to see, and it's great to see as you say him putting his hand up and basically going, you have to select me, you have to pick me. This is why I've played fifty Premier League games at this very young age already. I'm more than capable of doing it. You know, I will give your team energy. I will give your team forward momentum. I will, you know, I will be there to, you know, to to um, you know, to to be Chelsea. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point he becomes the captain because he has that level of leadership quality about him, I think. Yeah, and he gets stuck in. Uh, he's not afraid of a tackle. He's not afraid of moving around more experienced players. Uh, and he is Chelsea through and through. I agree with you, you know. And for all those people out there who go, oh, yeah, Mason Mount is only picked because he's, you know, he's Lampard's favourite. Sorry, you've seen an England manager want to pick him all the time. You've seen Frank want to pick him all the time. And you've seen Tuchel acknowledging after nine minutes and two sessions that this boy, he, he will do anything and die for the shirt. Uh, and, and that is why everybody should just get behind. If actually, OK, I'm going to say it. If ever there was a generational talent in this squad, it could well be him. I might be wrong and overblowing it, but... He has got so much heart. He's got so much endeavour. He's got so much skill. The one thing he just needs to add to his game is a regular amount of goals. And then who knows where he could go. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that last bit is the key thing. He needs to add those assists and goals. He needs to add them to to go up another level. That's got to be his target over the next couple of seasons is, is to become a real goal and assist threat, you know, because that, you know, that, that will elevate him. Um, I think what it shows into really sharp contrast, and I, and I thought this when I was watching the Burnley game, it really demonstrates how good a footballer Frank Lampard was from midfield. You know, over that amount of time to score that amount of goals and make that amount of assists and smash every possible stat from midfield. You know, we, it's astonishing when you look back at how good Frank Lampard was. And he's the template. He's the blueprint. He's what players like Mason Mount need to aspire to if they're going to you know become the footballers that we know they can be Mason Mount at the moment is a raw energetic dynamic player that plays with 100% heart and you know has come through a club that he's been at since six years old and has all those amazing things in his basket he has an incredible bond with the fans he's somebody that goes out and plays with a smile on his face but 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 works hard he's got to add that other element to his game I I would also say in his defence that if anybody has been shunted around from position to position trying to work out where to play him while fitting in other players, it's been him. So he hasn't really, I think, been able to settle on one position being his. He's the one that he's the go-to guy. He'll do whatever you want. Uh, And just maybe we're seeing Tuchel 
potentially we'll we'll see things will develop over the the coming weeks and months but maybe he's found the position for him and he's going to stick to that um it can only help can't it yeah um it can uh, but i do think the other thing we need to you know i go back to what i said earlier on what we need to Bear in mind with Tuchel is he's a rotator. He is a tinker. He will change the formation and change the way we play. He will look at the opposition. He will match it. There are times when certain players are going to play and times when certain players are, going to, are not going to play because they don't fit that particular system as well as others. And, and I'm all for that. I, I'm, I, you know, One of my big frustrations with Frank Lampard's management was this dogged, obsession with 4-3-3 and and players in those positions I just felt it it became stale and and it became predictable and I think in this manager you're not going to see that and so there will be times when Mason will sit out and there will be times when Havertz will come in and there will be times when Jorginho Kovacic play there will be times when you know Kovacic and Kante will play I just think it's really interesting the way he he's going to use the squad and obviously the other news that we're getting today and it hasn't been confirmed is that Billy Gilmore isn't leaving we all thought he was going to go out on loan and by all accounts he isn't so you know he's seen something in Billy Gilmore as well so it'll be really interesting to to see how this unfolds over, I think, the next 10 or 15 games, we're going to get a real sense of what Thomas Tuchel is as a manager and what he wants and how he's going to keep everybody happy. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and the thing is, when when he was talking after the Wolves game about Mason and, and uh, well, it was the next day in the press conference, and Billy, he, sa- he said all the things we've discussed about Mason, but he also said about Billy, he's in a different phase of his career. He's not been playing all the time, but he's got an eye for the ball. He knows where to go. He knows what to do. He's a powerful little player. Has he got the strength is what I need to find out to survive in a premiership week in, week out. Mm. Uh, And I thought that was interesting, but he said there's something about him and he will be a very big player for us. So he's aware that that's what I like about Tuchel. He's coming with no preconceptions as we will see when we get to the second half of the program and talk about his team pick for Burnley. Um, The last person we should mention as well, um, Pulisic, he also came on and gave a little bit of a cameo. I thought it's quite interesting. He switched over Callum to the left, put Pulisic on the right, and suddenly you had two wingers hugging the touchline, going round the outside of defenders, something that we've talked about. It's the most dangerous way for a winger to be. We Mm. didn't see it for too long, but it just shows Tuchel's thinking. And, and of course, he knows Pulisic well, doesn't he? He does. Uh, Pulisic is a player that seems to have gone off the boil. I mean, obviously, he's had a bad injury, was in a series of bad injuries, so he's had a bit of a stop-start time at Chelsea he was brilliant at the end of last season probably the standout player Uh, hasn't really replicated that form so far I hope he's a player that Tuchel can really work with and get that confidence back Um, because I think him and Callum Hudson-Odoi are potential game changers uh, in in any game they play and I think that I'd really like to see Pulisic doing what Callum's doing which is to to um to you know to run at players and to take players on and to dominate the momentum in a game and he's not quite doing that at the moment and I think I think it's not far away um and 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 that's that's a, an exciting thing to look forward to yeah no there's there is so much to look forward to especially the second half of this program after this ad break. Mm-hmm. 
If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. All right, Andy, we, we should move on to Burnley. Now, I, it was, it was a, an intriguing wait for the teams you know not too long a wait on a Sunday morning for it but come 11 o'clock and not earlier this time we got the team um what were your first thoughts when you saw that line up well it was it was interesting and uh, you know it it, it it lived up to the promise that he made about wanting to to look at um different players in 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 different positions so you know we had Mendy and Girl with three at the back again same three at the back with Azpilicueta, Thiago Silva and Rudig it does raise questions about what Zuma's role is going to be moving forward uh because we know he likes Rudiger Thiago Silva picks himself and he's also a big fan of Azpilicueta you know which he's he's been very vocal about almost gushing about in fact uh Hudson-Odoi stayed at that right wing back position but on the left came in Alonso, who we haven't seen since September, since his fallout with Frank. So that was a, that was an interesting pick uh, and, and made everybody sit up. Stuck with Jorginho and Kovacic in the middle, which I think is significant. Um, and then went with uh, Mount and Werner uh, with, with Abraham as the number nine this time. So, you know, fair amount of changes in this game. Uh, and I thought they worked very well. We could say that this is the first game that we could actually judge initial thoughts on Tuchel and what may be happening at the club. Mm. This is a, this is a team he's picked from basically having four or five days now with the players. So there were interesting things. Now, I have been not the greatest advocate of the Jorginho and Kovacic uh, central midfield pair. Yeah, you hate those players, don't you? I don't hate anybody who wears blue, but um, I don't like that combination. Mm. And actually, in the Burnley game, I thought they were both fantastic, which will get loads of people go, oh, yeah, but Jorginho was this, Jorginho was that. Sorry, no, no. they both had a fantastic game, didn't if they? If those people say that, those people are idiots. Because I think particularly Jorginho, I thought was... Brilliant. I thought he was brilliant. I actually thought, beyond Callum Hudson-Odoi and Mason Mount, who were clearly neck and neck for man of the match, I thought Jorginho, alongside maybe Silva, was, was, was way up there. I thought he was great. And people turn around and go, well, he, do. he doesn't do anything apart from like sort of you know just play in the middle and be an option and play the easy ball. It's like, that's literally his job in this system. Literally his job is to be an outlet, to play the simple ball, to you know, to bring players into the game, to to be available and to control the tempo. We've always said that's his job, and he did it really well. And I thought he pivoted very well with Kovacic, who you know was was perhaps more on the front foot than Jorginho. Um, but you had 
very differently from the Wolves game, the ball going forward a lot more. Um, and, and that was a tweak, I think, that, that Tuchel had made. There was an interesting uh, little, I don't know if you watched Match of the Day last night, but there was a, an interesting little analysis by Eddie Howe, the former Bournemouth manager, about one of the key elements of this strategy was to overwhelm the back four of uh, Burnley by putting the extra man in, by getting the extra man forward, who in, in this uh, scenario was hudson Adoy. So you had hudson Adoy, Mount, Werner, Abraham and Alonso um, all coming onto a back four and providing an extra man, um, which meant that the role of Jorginho and Kovacic was key. And I thought they performed it brilliantly. And I, I just thought that there was a, there was a coherence about that performance that we haven't seen in a Chelsea side for a long time. And, and I, I really, really enjoyed the game. Yes, me too. I, I think there's two things that are, are key out of what you've just said. One is the thing that was missing in the Wolves game were people's runs mm. um, and movement ahead of the ball. Uh, against Burnley, this was so significantly greater. And also, Jorginho and Kovacic... You know, they've been criticised in the past, and I've criticised them in the past for being sideways and back, and Kovacic only has his back towards the opposition. Um, they both played with their head up. They both look forward. They both look to move the ball. The, the, what you always talk about, that transition, is so much quicker. Already we can see it. OK, you could say it's only Burnley, but... We know we've played sides that we just haven't done this with, with, you know, often a a handful of the same players. So Mm. it just shows that already coaching is at play. He's already said what he wants and they're doing it to the letter of the law. Yeah. Let's not get overexcited at this stage about it, though, because... Mm. It's one thing to be given time and space to be able to do this, which both Jorginho and Kovacic were, because obviously Burnley matched up with 4-4-2. So there was an extra man in midfield for us. And I think that when we play other teams who may study this a bit more, they may put a man on Jorginho. They may put they may put some cover on him, which won't allow him to be an outlet. They won't give him time. And then he might get snuffed out of a game. We've seen that before. We saw Mourinho famously do that at Wembley. Um, so I'm not going to get too excited about the Jorginho Kovacic thing at the moment. It's working at the moment. It will work in certain games. Um, but I think you have to say that when Kante's fit, Kante comes back in, and Kante may come in for for, for either of those two. We do know that traditionally uh, Tuchel's a big fan of Jorginho, tried to sign him at PSG um, and uh, likes the idea of this register, for want of a better word, this Perlow position uh, where he can you know, sort of orchestrate and conduct. So it's going to be really interesting how Jorginho figures moving forward. But, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of haters out there on Jorginho and, and hopefully they shut a lot of them up because I thought his performance was really good. Yeah, I mean, I'd also make a point about I'm actually quite interested to see what Tuchel does when people mm. do shut Jorginho out of the game. Mm. Um, because then we'll see. He feels to me as though he's a, a, a manager who reacts to a situation. So if something happens, he's not going to go, oh, I don't know what to do about that. that that's really bad news. Well, we've got I three days to do wait. Something. We've got three yeah, days exactly. to wait because Mourinho it's, will. You yeah, know, Marie, will. Mourinho will have sat there, you know, will be sitting there this morning looking at the tapes of that game and going, 
what does he do how do i nullify it how can i how can i shut this down and i bet you he's looking at the idea of you know georginio kovacic uh, in this formation uh, and saying well that's what we do we just need to stick hoiberg on him and well, we need to stick someone you know who's going to kick him off the pitch or at least stick to him like like glue um so so all that's going to be happening on thursday and it will be interesting to see those two very tactical minds working and whether he actually changes it he might change it for that game so uh it's a really interesting really interesting week this i think do do you not think that at this moment in time I'm actually salivating for the next game already. I'm so actually excited because we'll learn more about how he thinks. You know, just in, in the one week, I, you know, as you said, the, the game against Burnley, I really enjoyed it. I think I texted you. I haven't enjoyed a game of football that much in a long time. Yeah. Um, because I felt confident. I felt not about winning or anything, but in the players doing something that they've been asked to do. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and look, I mean, we have to take in, into, into consideration the new manager bounce, you know, that players are, you know, excited and you know, it's a novelty and it's new and, um, you know, they're, 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 you know, enjoying playing for somebody who's going to, you know, look at them and, and give them some affirmation, hopefully, all that stuff, you know. I mean, five or six games into it when it becomes normal is when you need to look at it and say, is this something that will sustain? Um, but yes, I think it's it's perfectly valid to be excited and joyful and 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 happy that we've got four points out of six with a new manager that looks like he's, you know, coming in with an approach that we can all buy into. I will say as well, Spurs were bloody awful yesterday. I mean, really <laughs> awful against Brighton. But I'm going to come on and say... That's no indication of how they're going to play on Thursday because Mourinho's cleverer than that. He's cleverer than that. He's going to learn from what they did on uh, yesterday, which was Sunday, and what we did on, uh, you know, uh, previously to that. So, you know, it's going to be a really, really interesting matchup. I think of, of all of them, you know, the Guardiolas, the Klops, the, the Mourinho's, I think Tuchel versus Mourinho is the one that fascinates me the most. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's got that sort of hallmark of classic manager matchup, doesn't it? So we'll, we'll see what happens um, on the on the Burnley game. Uh, Tammy got substituted at half time. Yeah, and and Werner got moved into the middle. Did that surprise you? Um, is this already something that Tuchel is is flagging up? as his major conundrum that actually if we had a striker who was firing we'd have probably scored five or six yeah we would have done and and and, and i I don't know what the tammy situation was did he have a knock or was he just taken off tactically did he say i can't i'm not he hasn't said okay so so i'm assuming that he had some kind of knock i didn't think tammy was great i thought he was a bit anonymous um but he wasn't terrible uh verner you know missed a couple of chances but he but he made some chances I, i just think he's you know, it's it's a real enigma, isn't it? What's happening with with Werner? Uh, Tuchel seems convinced that he can turn it around. You know, hopefully he's going to get a sports psychologist in there to work with him because it's all in his head. Um, but there were you know opportunities. He had a header on target. He got himself into good positions where he wasn't found by by people. Um, I think what Tuchel hinted at was trying to get Werner into positions where players can find him. Because he knows that you know that, that if he does that, I do it. And, and there were occasions, 
yesterday when Werner had made a really good run where he wasn't found. I'm not making excuses for him, but these are things that need to be worked on. Because Werner's the kind of player that will create a lot of chances and score a couple of them. But we only need him to score one goal a game on most occasions, or two goals a game. You don't need him to score six or seven goals a game, but he's creating that level of chances. So I think that I'm not... I'm certainly not giving up on Werner. I think he's a class player. I just think it's taking a lot longer and is a lot more frustrating than any of us thought it would be. Okay, last person I would like to discuss from the Burnley game has to be the man who came in from the cold, Mm. Marcus Alonso. Now, Mm. here is a player we all thought we would never, ever see in a Chelsea shirt again, with supposedly everything that had gone on. Um, Okay, it was a good game for him to come into because he didn't really have to go back and defend. Um, There will be times where our wing-backs will get pushed back and then we will see. But it was the perfect game for him. And boy, oh boy. Okay, he didn't do necessarily that much uh, a lot of the time, but he was always available. And then that goal, Mm. good God. Well, I think it's important to, to, to talk about why he was in the team. He was in the team because of his height, according to Tuchel, uh, that he wanted against Burnley to have some presence in both penalty areas. Um, uh, and that's why he got the nod over Chilwell. Uh, and that makes sense. And that shows a manager that's looking at the strengths of Burnley and saying, we need inches back there. That's very Mourinho-like. Mourinho was always big on inches at the back. And I think that... So so that's, that's kind of why he got the nod in the team. We always knew that Marcus Alonso's strength was as a wing-back rather than a full-back, that his strengths were moving forward. He's got an immense touch. His touch is, you know, among the best in the team. We know that he can deliver... Across, And we know that he's an attacking threat. So, you know, I, I'm not at all surprised that he made the impact that he did. Yeah, I, and, and and that goal. I Brilliant. Mean, it's, it's just classic. It's he should never just... have had that much room, though, you no, know, to, to, to take the ball. But, you know, the, the fact is that he can only play what's in front of him and he got given the room. But, you know, take it on the chest, the knee and the technique on the volley was brilliant. Um, you know, it, it, you you couldn't ask for more. I mean, he had a, I thought, an easier chance in the first half where he could have headed headed it in, but got it all wrong. But you know, a brilliant performance from Alonso. I thought he was really, really, you know, took took his chance to impress the manager and to come back into the team and say, consider me. I think you know, all respect to him that he he's obviously worked hard. He's kept himself fit. He's kept himself um, sharp, um, and he didn't look like a player that hasn't played since September. And do you think it's good for Chilwell to have some competition there? Because there's no doubt Emerson doesn't come close to Chilwell, but Alonso shows exactly the possibilities he can give the side. Yeah. It's good for him, isn't it? Always good to have competition. It's always good to have competition and and for players to be motivated to want to impress if they want to play. I think if we ever played a back four, You'd play Chilwell. If you ever played uh, a a game against a smaller team that were going to be more of a a, a team that played the ball on the ground, you'd play Chilwell. Uh, You'd play, for example, against Man City or Liverpool or, or Arsenal or one of those teams, Wolves even, you'd play Chilwell because they don't have that attacking threat in the air. Certainly not Wolves since Jimenez isn't there. Um, so so Chilwell's the obvious choice. When you're playing against teams that have a big aerial attacking threat, 
Everton, uh, Burnley, those type of teams, Alonso's the obvious choice. And of course, if you play a back four, you play Chilwell. So, you know, I think I can see where the combinations are, are, are sort of working there. But and, and you're right, it's good to have competition. Yeah, absolutely. And the last person who I thought also did his cause no harm whatsoever uh, was after, you know, what's been a difficult week for him. And, you know, I feel for him and all the other players who've been abused online. It's just disgusting. And I do think a lot of these sites, they need to get people to provide actual evidence over who they are. Um, Reese James, um, he came on and he, he looked great i mean he's got he's got possibly the greatest chest control mm. of any player isn't he he's an absolute tank uh when he when, when he's when he's on the ball uh, uh yeah i think he's he's a young hungry player um you know in that little group of players that we've got that have come up together that that won't take being dropped or won't take being asked to to sit out lightly he's he's not a player i think that's going to go away and sulk i think he's going to come back bigger and better uh, and more hungry and with more desire to force his way into this team. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how he fares over the coming games and, and where he's played in, in in the games because that back three, Azpilicueta, Silva, Rudiger, you know he likes that. You know he likes that back three. So it's going to take something to kind of force your way into it or to be... Um, you know, to to be part of a defensive unit, so so good. I mean, I think it's good that they are being asked to prove themselves again because they maybe got a little bit comfortable under Frank, who they kind of knew would play them every week. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I'd also say it has helped uh, as Piliqueta. I think Dave has has slotted back into that back three and suddenly looks like the man that used to be okay he's not got the same pace but he suddenly looks comfortable yeah but he doesn't need also... the pace when he's not asked no, to run doesn't. up and down the line for 90 minutes Ex- you know when he, when he when he can play in a in a purely defensive role we know that he's one of the world's best one of the world's best and that's not overstating the case you know he is a world-class defender who has lost a little bit of his pace who doesn't have the kind of attacking threat that some of our other potential wingbacks do but in back three you know, there's 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 not many better. No, there's not. And also, to be fair, he actually didn't half put a shift in to get his goal as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the the sprint that he made there, and I love that goal as much as Alonso's. I really did. I mean, there's there's so much beauty in that in that move. You know, from Mason to Callum, and that little flick through for. As P, just fantastic. So, yeah, maybe the pressure's well, uh, off him. He doesn't feel as though he needs to be there. That that you know move I mean. was started by Jorginho. Jorginho yeah. started that move. You know, so don't. So, so we mustn't leave him out of that that makeup because his quick turn to spot Mason, who then you know got that ball forward, I think is is you know is a really interesting uh, you know jigsaw puzzle to you know to look at and think. Wow, that came from the left hand side over to the right hand side. You know, four players involved, a really good overlap from Aspiliqueta. You know, the confidence to get forward, um, really good shape in what we did. A lovely you know no look pass from Hudson Adoy to him a brilliant finish. I mean, what more could you what more could you want? It was brilliant. 
All right, look, Andy, we're practically out of time. So it is that time to look forward. It's Tottenham Thursday, Mm. Sheffield United Sunday. Mm. How do you see these panning out and score? Scores, please. Blimey. I mean, it's it, Tottenham, who knows? Tottenham are without their, you know, their talisman in Harry Kane at the moment. They look a little bit ragged from what I've seen of them, but they'll get themselves up for this game because it's us and because it's Mourinho. And Mourinho will, will think this one out and, and, and try and figure it out. It's going to be a, a battle of the tactical titans. And... Whoever turns up wants it more on the day. I think will you know will will we'll be the difference. So I think I think we've probably got enough at the moment. We've got enough momentum. We've got enough desire and enough belief. Uh, if this game had come, you know, under the stewardship of Frank Lampard, I'd be a lot less confident than I am. Uh, I think we can win. I think we will win narrowly, and I think it will be two nil. Okay, that that's not that narrow. That's quite huge. Two nil. Not huge. <laughs> I, think, I think you'd be nervous if it was 2 0. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be nervous as of probably the moment we finish this podcast. Mm. It's always one of those games, you know. And I love the fact that uh, uh, Tuchel understands the importance of this game, as he said in pretty much every press conference. So yeah. he'll get it. It's not lost on him. Um, I'm going with you. I think we're going to win it. I'm going to go for 1-0, but a solid performance. Um, okay, and moving on to Sheffield United away. Bit of a bit of a troublesome side for us at times. Um, uh, they, they certainly were last season. They've had a terrible, terrible season, but they did have that shock result against Man United. Um, we know that they are capable of putting things together. We would pretty dreadful against them last year. Look, I, I, if we can't beat Sheffield United, then there's an issue. There's a problem. Sack the manager. Well, <laughs> certainly ask questions of the manager because I think that Sheffield United are the one team that he'd want to play at the moment because we can take the game to them and they won't, they don't have, I don't think they have the defensive capabilities to sit men right behind the ball um, in the way that Wolves did. They'll want, they'll, they'll have to come out and play football because that's what they did and I think we can take them to pieces. So I think that'll actually be a significant win for us, 3-0. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for four nil. Okay, good. See, the confidence is overflowing. So I will um, I will caveat this, all of this stuff with it is a mental season with crazy results, crazy performances, a massive amount of unpredictability. So all of this is just a bit of a bit of fun because none of yeah. us know. So really, we could win 5-0 at Tottenham Absolutely. and lose 3-0 at Sheffield United. Almost too easily. <laughs> OK, well, I don't know. I think I'd take the 5-0 over Tottenham, though. Yeah, man. Um, right, I'll have to think about this. All right, Andy, well, that's it. We're out of time. How can everyone get in touch with us if they want to well if they'd like to get in touch with us twitter's very good you can get us on at chelsea podcast um you can follow me on mr a saunders you can follow kerry on at kerry levy that's c-e-r-i-l-e-v-y kerry levy uh on insta it's uh at the chelsea podcast or i'm on at one true saunders and you can follow kerry on at kerry levy one that's it. I hope you feel better, mate. hope it all sort of sorts itself out and that Jackie's okay and gets a good negative test and, you know, get back to normal. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much, Andy. And we will see you all next week. 
This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.